Welcome to Me Time, the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me. I'm Kim Aceto, health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host. Thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I am here with Stephanie Raffalock. Let me tell you about Stephanie. Stephanie Raffalock is the author of Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women. She also penned the award-winning book, A Delightful Little Book on Aging. A graduate of Naropa University's program in writing and poetics, Stephanie was a contributor to the Rogue Valley Messenger in Oregon. She's blogged for Nexus Magazine, Omaha Lifestyles, Care2.com, as well as 60andMe.com. A former iHeartRadio host, she is now a popular guest on podcasts where she inspires women to embrace the strength and passion of their personal story. Stephanie continues to build her speaker's resume by giving presentations for groups like the Ashland Literary Arts Festival, Breaking the Glass, Wins at Charles Schwab, and Southern Oregon University, Friends of the Hannon Library. Her commitment to uplift women extends to teaching personal development classes for incarcerated women and nonprofits, including Dress for Success Austin. A recent transplant to Austin, Texas, Stephanie enjoys an active life with her husband, Dean, and their Labrador retriever, Mickey Mantle Raffalock. You sound like a, a baseball family. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> you know, when you marry into it, you really don't have oh. a choice. <laughs> Did you marry into a, ba- a baseball? Well, family? I married into a family, into my husband in particular, who has loved the New York Yankees since he was a little boy. Oh, really? And <laughs> so really cute. every year during baseball season, if I want to see him, I also become a baseball fan. So we have now had um, a couple of dogs with a Yankee theme. The, our, our last Labrador retriever was Jeter, as in Derek uh-huh. Jeter. Right. And this Labrador retriever is Mickey Mantle Raffalock. Nice. Right, right. Now, what if you have a girl dog? Well, <laughs> I, I don't dog. know. I guess I'll have to cross that bridge when I come yeah. to it. Right, right. Well, Stephanie, welcome to the Me Time Midlife Podcast. It's really great to have you here. I'm Thank looking you. forward to talking with you. Yeah. So uh, as a first-time guest, let me ask you the first question, which is, what do you enjoy doing during your me time? I think of me time as my quiet and contemplative time. So my favorite thing to do is have a quiet morning. And that means uh, a nice cup of black tea on the back porch, watching the day come alive, and just breathing in with all of my senses the world around me, the forest that I can see off in the distance, um, the clouds, the sky, the way the light changes in the morning and fills up the day. That's my favorite me time. That sounds great. How long have you been making sure you have that morning solitude time? This morning solitude time has really become a habit with me. It's nice when you do something long enough that it becomes a habit. And then when it doesn't happen, you feel kind of itchy, like something's off. You can't, you can't reclaim it in some other part of your day. So um, I've sort of started ritualizing this time, like, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 years ago. It's just my time. When I was going to an office every day, I would do it in the mornings. And now I don't go to an office every day, but I find myself 
still wanting to do it. It's like, it's a little check-in. I, I like the idea of me time being a little bit of a check-in with yourself. You know, how do I feel and how do I feel in the world? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Just kind of having that, yeah, that check-in I think is really important in the morning and that grounding and that, you know, all of those things that are important to making sure that, you know, your day goes the way you want it to go. You're, you run your day and not your day running you. It's, yeah, that, <laughs> that is a great say. phrase. Yes. I like that. <laughs> right. And when you start with me time, you start your morning with me time. I think it sets a good precedent for the rest of the day. So I love that you've been doing that for so long. And like you said, you know, it's become a habit and it's something, it sounds like you can't live without anymore. <laughs> Pretty much. And like I said, on those rare times when I miss that time, it kind of screws up my whole day. Just something feels off, you know? Right, right. So Stephanie, let's get into the area that you like to write about, talk about, study, which is aging. Um, Let me just ask you, you know, what is your interest in the topic of aging? How did you get interested in this topic? Well, I started getting old. (laughs) (laughs) And and I had to look at that. And I I started writing for a a big website called 60andme.com. I wrote for them for a couple of years, several years back. And what I found out was that I wasn't alone in my feeling of not wanting to go gently into that good night, as the poet would say, that there were women all around me that were creating encore careers or mentoring or volunteering, or they were doing something with their lives that was vital to them. And I began to see aging, especially for women, as a remarkable and noble passage that unfortunately is not supported entirely by our culture. So I started writing about some of the things I was feeling and thinking about being a woman growing older and what that means in this culture. And more than writing about my own personal experience, I began to experiment with what, with what could change. How could we change this so that the um, stereotype of being an older woman in this culture changed too into something more positive. So that's where the initial um, idea began. And, you know, usually when you have a great idea, you think, oh, this is my great idea. But oftentimes when we have a great idea, it's because collectively there is something happening in the consciousness of all women at, at the same time. So um, that, that was the reason for then the second book, Creatrix Rising, um, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women, is I just saw that there was a big shift going on in the country, and it was happening everywhere. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I always say that, you know, when people ask me, I mean, I'm a, I'm a um, midlife women's wellness coach. And often the, I think the most common question I get is, well, what is midlife? Am I midlife? Well, um, it, I believe it's more of a stage in a woman's life rather than an age. But I'm wondering what age were you? I'm just curious uh, when you started to have this epiphany of like, you know, wanting to look into this a little bit more. I was somewhere around menopause. I was somewhere in my early fifties and I began to see menopause as an initiation, as opposed to just a set of uncomfortable physical symptoms. Um, I think you and I talked off broadcast at one point about um, how that time 
in a woman's life can be changing, how it can be a bridge to something else. So I really think that women anywhere from 45 on up can be considered midlife. And I think that old age is this is this window of time, this small window of time where we really are ready to recede from the world. But unfortunately, what happens in our country is we are living longer, but we talk about getting older sooner. And it's this strange kind of paradox. So um, I think that women like you who are coaching through midlife, it's like, hey, you don't stick a fork in it and say you're done at a certain point. Old age is really that small window of time that leads up to um, eternity's horizon. And that's not necessarily going to be your path in your 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s. Live fully till the very end, I say. Right, right. And also, I feel like, I mean, just traditionally, the way we women are often raised, like we have to go through these stages of growing up and then again, the traditional way, which I didn't do, but you know, where, where you, you know, you grow up and you, you know, you get married and you have children and like, that's kind of that, that stage that's like set for women and what's expected of women. And a lot of women do go through that and, and that's fine and beautiful and, and all that is, that's what you wanted. But then, um, you know, those kind of midlife years and beyond, those are really the time where, you know, you get to kind of figure it out yourself and you get to create that yourself, which is, you know, something I wanted to ask you because we did talk about this offline, uh, you and I, and you said something really interesting. And I want you to expound on that a little bit. You said that uh, you believe that there's a reason why nature keeps us alive after midlife, right? When beyond our childbearing years, um, talk a little bit more about that. Like, why do you think that is? Well, I think that it is because it is the it is a part of our life where we get to recognize our spiritual DNA. And here's what I mean by that. As you get older and you get out of those mother years, it's like your job is done. In you know, if you've raised your kids, or even in in my case, I didn't have kids, but I was still beyond that that mother phase of where I could have born children. Mm-hmm. I got to start reflecting on my life in a way that gave me self-knowledge. And self-knowledge, as Carl Jung said, reveals all things. So it's a time in our life to fully embody ourselves as human beings. And as a woman, it's a time to embody ourselves as that. This is who I've become. This is where the arc of my life has led me. And now begins the work of all the, all the wary ways and areas where you forgive yourself for the mistakes you made in life, all the ways and areas where you can celebrate your life and embrace joyfulness, all the ways that you can tap into that juicy, creative energy that comes from menopause, because now you can no longer bear children, but that creative energy in your being is still there. So what are you going to do with it? And I think that's why nature keeps us alive. It's like, this is your reflective time. This is your creative time. There is so much for you to kind of sit with in terms of who you've become in life and how you approach the world. And that open question is still, 
who do I want to become? That's a funny question, it seems to ask at, at one's 50s, 60s, or 70s. But I believe that we can continually grow and evolve both psychologically and spiritually until the day we die. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that growth is just exponential, you know, because I always say, you know, women in midlife, we have this, um, you know, experience and maturity and wisdom that, you know, we make better decisions about ourselves and we know what we want and we understand who we are better. And we're discovering that and we can, you know, transform ourselves in, in so many different ways. And it's really an exciting time of life. And I love that you, um, you know, you really support and encourage women to embrace this time of life as opposed to get sad about it or, you know, to talk badly about aging. So I want to talk about, um, I want to start talking about your book a little bit, your newest book, Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Women and uh, Power of Midlife Women. Um, and uh, I, th- I believe something you talk about is uh, these archetypes, and I want to get into the creatrix archetype a little bit later, but let's talk about, um, you know, you, you say your mission is to help women uh, reclaim midlife and embrace their age while challenging ageist, sexist archetypes. I'm curious, what are some of those ageist, sexist archetypes when you, what, what do you mean by that? Well, let's start with um, Robert Graves, the poet and novelist from the 1930s and 40s, who wrote a book called The White Goddess, which was his homage to his muse, um, which his muse was women. And so he did these categories of women as maiden, mother, crone. So let's unpack that. First of all, maiden is a a word that doesn't really apply. It, It kind of I don't know if any young woman who would think of herself as a maiden these days kind of connotes images of, you know, the the barefoot, nubile virgin traipsing through the forest. I mean, it just, it isn't relatable anymore. Um, the, The mother image, I mean, mothers will always be mothers, but I think for a long time in our cultures, we've held mothers out to be like this Madonna sort of image, you know, this purity, the pure mother. And mothers are so much more than that now. I mean, their courage looks more like, you know, baby barf on their shoulders and skin knees than it does um, the Madonna image. Um, The word that really rankles in that trilogy of words is crone. Crone is a word that entered the lexicon sometime in the 1300s, and it means disagreeable old woman. I don't know any woman that wants that title. And yet there have been feminist groups that have tried to, you know, reclaim that and and dress it up a little bit, bit. But there are some words we should just not be reclaiming ever because they are insulting. So that's a that's an example of a trilogy of um, archetypes or stereotypes that um, are negative. And stereotypes and archetypes, by the way, aren't, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. It's just that some archetypes are not the best. Um, if you want to go back a little further, we sometimes see archetypes of the wicked witch or the hag. And, you know, once again, this connotation that when women are old, they're somehow used up. So um, old age, like I said, once again, is this window of time as 
one feels one receding from the world and you know kind of like this is my time to recede from the world but in the meantime we go back to that those crone years and i wanted to define them as something else because what i saw all around me was i saw especially in the last several years i saw the women's march happening and this tremendous unification that happened worldwide of women feeling like they had a voice and they were going to stand up and use it. And if you want to join, join along. In my little town of Ashland, Oregon, where I lived at the time, it, the town was only 20,000 people. Um, and the newspaper said that they were expecting about 600 people for this march. 10,000 people showed up to march in Ashland for the Women's March. Wow. The other place that that's reflected in women getting older is that um, in the midterm elections of 2018, more women over the age of 50 ran for local, state, and national office than ever before in the history of our country. And then on top of that, you've got the hashtag Me Too movement. And I think especially for my generation, it was such a liberating and unburdening moment of carrying this dirty little secret that for decades was only shared in the ladies room somewhere. And in my generation, more often than that, not what you got when you shared that was someone saying, Oh, God, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And you know, boys will be boys. Right. And so that boys will be boys piece is like, you know, that's off the table. So those examples showed me that there's something shifting. And what do we call it? I don't want to call it crone. I don't want to call it just old age. None of those are accurate. So the word creatrix was something that I wish I had come up with, but my editor came up with it. Creatrix is one of the three Greek fates. There was the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter. The weaver is the creatrix. And the word means a woman who makes things. It is a feminine word, a woman who makes things. And that's what I see in the aging population of women all around me at midlife and beyond is I see creatrices rising, coming into our own voice, coming into a kind of confidence that we have fought for for centuries. And uh, that's where creatrix rising came from. And that's where the word creatrix comes from. Yeah, I love it. So it, it comes from like a, like weaving, right? Yeah. Like that kind of yeah. making things, right. You know, making weaving things. your life. Right. Right. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, so how does a woman know if she's this archetype or, um, you know, is this something you can move into? Like, how do you, how do you begin to become this creatrix archetype? Well, I, I think that what's important to me is that we need to start defining ourselves and not let ourselves be defined by men or other people. So that means you have to claim what's already inside of you. The desire to have voice, the desire to have courage, I believe that's innate in women. It's just a matter of tapping into it. Archetype simply means a set of qualities. So if you have an archetype of creatrix rising, what rising infers to is that we're 
we are still creating and figuring out what this archetype is. It's kind of a bold statement because I'm no Jungian. I'm, I, I'm not somebody that, you know, signed up to like, let's, hey, let's make up some new archetypes. But it just seemed to me that we needed a word that would replace the word crone. So um, I think we get into that by claiming ourselves and how we want to do life on our own terms. And don't define me, let me define my qualities and what I have to bring to the world. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's so important because again, yeah, like I feel that society really uh, kind of defines that for you, for younger, you know, girls um, and then women. And as we're getting older, um, you know, same, same thing, you know, and, um, and the fact that, you know, you really want women to, you know, create that themselves, right. And, and to figure out what they want and what that looks like for themselves, I think is, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's again, like reclaiming that midlife and embracing your age, um, is, is really important. What are some like, obstacles and challenges that you think women or you've, you've experienced or seen women who are kind of moving through this stage and, um, of becoming, uh, the creatrix archetype. Um, what are some of those obstacles and challenges that, that come up or that we can kind of, um, maybe expect as we, you know, try to rise up in this world that is, very much still, you know, ageist and sexist. We have to think about what it is we see, what is being presented to us culturally. So for me, advertising is a huge culprit of perpetuating ageism, sexism. Um, we somehow get this idea from the time that we're kids, if you ever watch TV or you ever go on social media or you go to the movies, you know you're exposed to it. This idea that if I just could use the right toothpaste to make my teeth whiter, I would feel better about myself. If I could just lose that five inches off my thighs, I could be a better person. And so, you know, we're bombarded with the images of anti-aging creams and um, plastic surgeries and how we should dress and all of these things. Look, we have a choice and I don't begrudge any woman that wants to get a lift or her eyes done or any of that. But we have to think about what's being presented to us. What is it that makes you feel whole? Is it really your appearance? Or is wholeness something kind of underneath the hood, meaning something that fills your heart, something that stimulates your mind and your creativity? What is it that really makes you happy? Are you going to be happy if you have like a smooth, smooth skin that shows no wrinkles? Or are you going to be happy that you get up every morning and you get excited about what you're going to make, what you're going to do? with your life, how it is you're going to serve other women. You know, there, there's a whole line of young women that stand behind me. And sometimes I think that it's a, older age is a little bit like holding a torch. And you're holding it up high so that you can illuminate the way and the pitfalls on your own path. 
But at a certain point, you're going to pivot and turn around and pass that torch to the younger generation that then holds the light high for the people behind them. That's a sacred duty of women. And so those kinds of images that you can imagine through active imagination and creativity that can fill your head and your heart, I think that that's what brings us into this new archetype of creatrix. Right. I love that. And I love that analogy of, of passing the torch. And, you know, I really try to do that myself. And, um, you know, I'm not the quote unquote typical girl slash woman or whatever. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I've always been a tomboy and um, I, I just love seeing, um, you know, I'm not really feminine. I don't dress feminine, I guess. Um, and I love when I see a little girl who, you know, I can see that myself in her and, and she kind of stares at me, looks at me a little bit. And I just feel proud that, you know, she has, you know, at least a stranger that, um, you know, doesn't look like everybody else and can represent something a little different. And because, um, you know, I think our value as girls and women, um, I was even seeing something recently, a little girl or girls as young as the age of six um, were, I don't know what they were doing. I don't think it was makeup. I think it was more than that. Um, were augmenting their bodies or um, were, you know, sexualizing themselves or something like that. I mean, little girls as young as six, you know, mm. and when we teach, um, young girls, young women, that your value is based on your looks, on your physical body, your beauty, your weight, your thinness, um, your tan, you know, I mean, right. the length of your hair, I mean, the list goes on, I mean, and it's just such a hard time in a, in a woman's life, um, you know, the, those beginning stages of life. And um, it's kind of a gift to be past that, I feel. And not that we don't ever, as women, you know, older women, we, you know, we don't ever feel those, we don't ever want to look good or feel good or feel sexy or feel beautiful and all those things. But it doesn't have to be defined by how society defines beauty and um, attractiveness or whatever, right? It comes from within. You know, the marketing around that, that, you know, we can inject this stuff in your lips to make them fuller. Or, I, I mean, it's I, kind of amazing to me. Um, that whole marketing attack, that's the stuff that we have to think about before you take an action on that. And I love it the way you described, you know, this little girl looking at you. It's like, it's not just a matter of of sharing with older women or, or younger women our wisdom. It's a matter, matter of modeling that, you know, how you live your life. You are a woman who lives life on her own terms. Who doesn't want that? I don't want to be defined by someone else. I want to live life on my own terms, whatever that looks like. So it, you know, once again, it's, I, I've always thought that the, the very kernel of feminism was choice, you know, yes. educate yourself and choose what's best for you. 
because it takes right. all kinds of people to make a world. And the more diverse the world, I think the better. And you know, Stephanie, um, you know, back to your bio, back to the beginning, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think it is a privilege for women to be able to have choice and to be able to, you know, um, get to the point where they can be empowered to make the choices that they want to make for their, the life that they want to live, but not all women have those choices. And so, um, I wanted to bring it back to your, uh, bio where you have, uh, taught personal development classes for incarcerated women. Um, and those are the women, those are the, you know, the, those are, those can be the type of women who don't have those opportunities and, you know, are, are not starting from the same place as a lot of other women, you know, so I love that you've done that work, um, you know, to, to help those women rise as well. What were some of those uh, classes that you were, you were um, teaching well, these women? All that I taught for incarcerated women was um, I taught them writing. And I, I have um, a gift to be able to pull writing out of people who are not writers. And so uh, once a week for several years at the uh, Jefferson County Detention Center for Women in Golden, Colorado, I taught a uh, creative writing class. And we did everything from poetry to journaling to um, short stories. Um, sometimes I would bring in uh, cards. I like to bring in decks of tarot cards, not because I, I was doing tarot with them, but because they have such interesting images. And to put, you know, interesting images in front of someone and saying, make up a story about this. And if you've ever seen a deck of tarot cards, you know that the images are just really interesting. You know, there's a guy with the sword and five stars above him and pentacles in the background and all this stuff. So it just makes for a very interesting teaching tool. But um, working with incarcerated women was one of the great gifts I've been given in this life. Um, I was taught when I was in college through community outreach that whatever your art is, whatever your talent, skills, and abilities are, if you can find a way in the world to share that, to give that away, do it. It will only enhance your life. And I feel like I'm the one that made out in those classes, um, probably more so than my students. And I feel similarly about Dress for Success. These are women that are in the process of working their second chance. And so we do a class called Why Your Story Matters. And it's just a matter of getting enough of your story that you can look back on your life and go, you know what? I've lived through a lot of stuff and I'm still standing. I'm living to tell the tale. And you just get a better sense of yourself. And now you take that better sense of yourself into the world. I love it. I love it. Well, Stephanie, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm going to put your website uh, in the show notes for listeners to go and and check that out, as well as your social media links. You're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on LinkedIn. Um, You have a link on uh, Goodreads and your book can be found on Amazon. So I'm going to put those links in the show notes. Stephanie, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking. Thank you, you. Kim. I could talk to you all day, but then we'd we'd get nothing done. So thank you so much for having me on your show. If you find the Me Time Midlife podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. 
the best way is to simply tell your midlife friends about it. It also helps the show's visibility if you rate and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or simply directly in your Apple Podcasts app if you listen to the show that way. And if you want more me time in your life and continue the conversations we have on the show with other women on a similar journey, consider joining our Me Time Midlife Community on Facebook. Simply search for Me Time Midlife Community in your Facebook search bar or go to metimemidlifepodcast.com to learn more. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, remember, you've been taking care of everyone else. It's your turn to take care of you.